Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tami Solohoko and Tami Kuza. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Sudan rival leaders blame each other for breaking the ceasefire. Experts say diamonds are fueling violence in the Central African Republic. And Kenyan opposition party files a motion to impeach President Uhuru Kenyatta. In economics, South Africa's ruling party denies any involvement in Hitachi Chancellor House deal. And in sports news, Tonga scores five tries to beat Namibia at the Rugby World Cup. And first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. The United Nations says a recent wave of violence in the Central African Republic has claimed the lives of nearly 40 people and forced tens of thousands to flee their homes. It says at least 36 people had been killed and some 30,000 fled their homes since Saturday. Local reports place the death toll at 42. Meanwhile, some 500 prisoners have escaped from a detention center in the capital, Bangim. The CAR has been witnessing violence since a coup ousted President Francois Bouziz in 2013. The coup pushed the country into an ethnic conflict between the Christian and Muslim populations. The interim authorities in Burkina Faso say the army has taken control of the barracks of an elite force behind a failed coup earlier this month. It's not clear if there are any casualties. In a statement, Army Chief of Staff General Ping Renoma urged the population to avoid the Waga 2000 district where the camp is located for security reasons. Interim President Michael Kafando and Prime Minister Yakuba Isaac Zida were arrested by the elite presidential guard on September 16. General Gilbert Diendere was quick to take power, but he resigned a week later under pressure from the West African Regional Bloc, Burkina Faso's military and protesting citizens. Kafando, who was formally reinstated last Wednesday, recently issued a decree disbanding the presidential guard. South African President Jacob Zuma says if the world body fails to heed the advice of developing nations about the need to reform, South Africa may start a process of consulting before taking the next step. The theme of the 70th session of the United Nations General Assembly is the transformation of the global body which is accused of being non-representative. Zuma says that smaller countries want their voices to be heard on global matters. There is frustration and I think we are going to do more to ensure that this campaign is indeed intensified. I think big and middle countries ought to come together here to push for this and I don't think we should have a situation where we describe the world as a world of democracy but at the same time allow an structures or an institution that is dictatorial, that is uh, as the last word, being a minority, I think it is a contradiction in terms. 
Zuma says that if developing countries are not heard, they will explore their uh, other avenues. I think we need to consult among ourselves. We need to take a very firm position and say enough is enough. Either they open up for uh, the, the transformation or really we, 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 we say let us change the structures if, if that means we need to change the structures. The South African Council of Churches has added its voice to Christian leaders' call for action against corruption. It says members of the public should join an anti-corruption march on Wednesday. The council says churches have a moral duty to hold accountable those found guilty of corruption. The council's president, Bishop Sipo Siwa, will participate in the march to the union buildings in the capital of Pretoria. Anglican Archbishop Tabo Mahoba will join the Cape Town leg of the march. And finally, American President Barack Obama insists his Syrian counterpart Bashar al-Assad must step down if the ISIL terrorist group is to be defeated. Speaking on Tuesday at a counter-terrorism summit in New York, Obama pledged to use all possible tools to destroy the terrorists, which he admitted were continuing to expand. He acknowledged the fight against the extremist network in Iraq and Syria would take time and called on world leaders to revive the so-called anti-ISIL coalition. Obama's remarks came a day after a clashed with Russian President Vladimir Putin of the future role of al-Assad in Syria. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. It is 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa, as well as on the DSTV Audio Bouquet Channel 902. Now, South African-born comedian Trevor Noah appears to be off to a good start. Comedy Central says the premiere of The Daily Show with Noah in the hosting seat reached a total of 7.5 million people who tuned into the simulcast for a minute or more over several Viacom owned networks. Now, the show featured jokes about himself, immigrants, and Pope Francis. Ratings data show that Noah's first outing drew about the same TV audience as Jon Stewart's farewell in August after 16 years with the late-night Comedy Central show. As promised, Trevor Noah made a few changes to the format of political and pop culture satire and a nightly interview that was developed by Stewart. Now, our question to you today is how did Trevor Noah would do as the host of The Daily Show. Do you think he nailed it? Give us your thoughts and your views on email at infochannelafrica.co.za or send us a tweet at RiseShineAfrica or at ChannelAfrica1 or send us an SMS on 277-969-57930. How did Trevor Noah do as the host of The Daily Show? Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Kenya's main opposition party, the Coalition for Reforms and Democracy, CORD, has filed a motion in the country's National Assembly to impeach President Uhuru Kenyatta for failing to comply with the country's Supreme Court order to raise striking teachers' salaries by 50 to 60 percent. The motion comes at a time when the strike by more than 300,000 teachers has just entered the fifth week. James Shimangula reports from Nairobi. To remove Uhuru Kenyatta from the presidency, the opposition motion must be approved by 233 members of parliament from the ruling Jubilee and opposition accord. This is unlikely as the opposition only has 130 MPs. John Mbadi, a senior member of the opposition accord, confirms that he filed the motion in the National Assembly pending approval. I want to announce that I've already filed the motion to impeach the President of the Republic of Kenya, Uhuru Muigai Kenyatta. Ronald Tunoi, who comes from political stronghold of Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto and one who represents the ruling Jubilee Party in the Rift Valley region, described the filing of the motion as a waste of time. I will be surprised if they will corner the required number of signatures to initiate this impeachment. And more so, but in the first case, it will not reach the floor of parliament. But the problem is the people who are going to bring this motion are political pretenders. Another Jubilee parliamentarian, Irungu Kangata, from central Kenya, where President Uhuru Kenyatta comes from, cites reasons to support it to know his conclusion that the motion will not see the light of the day. No, it will not be supported for several reasons. One, Jubilee coalition is bigger and uh, the court which is pushing for this motion has fewer members. Two, they have not tendered good reasons in support of that motion. The key reason which they are citing is that uh, the president has failed to pay teachers. But it's a fact that uh, this country does not have sufficient money. Alice Chai, called the opposition member of parliament from Nyamira County in Nyanza region, characterized the impeachment motion as a national issue and not an issue only related to court. I really get worried when I'm finding out that as parliamentarians we are dividing ourselves into groups when we are dealing with a national issue. The president has failed. He's not failing only for court. He's failing as a national leader who is answerable to all of us as Kenyans, 42 million people. We are going to make it. If we fail to make it because of the tyranny of numbers, we could have made the point that we want to impeach the president. On the other hand, and Andrew Mwadime, another court legislator from Eastern Kenya, doubts whether the impeachment motion will reach the stage of approval. In the impeaching, it will be a bit difficult because, you see, at the moment, Jubilee has more MPs than... Unless Jubilee MPs jump with the other side. But, of course, everything is to try. We'll, opposition will try... 43-year-old Kenyan teacher Apollo Ogunda stressed the importance of the impeachment. That is one way through which you can actually make the government and the president himself to know that he should always listen to what's actual judge in a court of law. The constitution mandated the Kenyan people at least to address the issues in a court of law. The same Supreme Court that actually ruled that the president was legally and actually was supposed to the office legal. So we wonder why the same president is not now recognizing the rule of law. I also caught up with Akelo Misori, Secretary General of the Kenya Union of Post-Primary Teachers Union, which is teaming up with the Kenya National Union of Teachers, NAT, to push for payment of raised salaries to teachers. 
unexpected and surprising, Missouri explained why the opposition's unilateral decision to file the impeachment motion was inappropriate and untimely. In my view as a teacher, it is not correct. The teacher's problems cannot be politicized. This is a purely industrial relations exercise. We should not be hijacked by politicians who are now looking for an opportunity to sidestep the real issues in industrial dispute. It is unfortunate that they are using that position because the teachers are on strike. They have made the teachers' issue a political matter. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. South Sudan's president and rebel leader blamed each other yesterday for breaking the country's ceasefire, although President Salva Kiir told a high-level UN meeting that his commitment to the peace deal is unwavering. UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon urged Kiir to uphold his promise. President Kiir addressed the UN meeting via video conference after annoying the international community last year by skipping a similar meeting. Rebel leader Riek Macha attended in person as diplomats from several countries urge both sides to calm a conflict that has killed thousands and displaced two million. Show and Bryce Peace has more. The severity of the situation was put into perspective by the SPLM leader in opposition, Riyak Mashar. The 21-month ceasefire was vicious and devastating more than the war for self-determination and independence. To date, over, ten, over tens of thousands of South Sudanese have perished and millions have been displaced internally and are at risk of starvation. Mashar misspoke, referring to the 21-month conflict, but such are the levels of inhumane brutality referred to in a soon-to-be-released AU Commission of Inquiry report. The AU Peace and Security Council also agreed to establish an Africa hybrid court to investigate and prosecute crimes against humanity in the country. The ceasefire is not holding. I agree with President Self on that. I do not need to catalogue the violations as President Self did this morning. The strange thing is we are attacked and we are blamed. And uh, I would like to say in Arabic, Barabna. He hit us, and then he ran to complain. Earlier, President Salva Kiir, speaking via video link from Juba, complained of several violations against his troops since the peace deal was signed, but recommitted himself to the agreement. Today, I reiterate before all of you that I am deeply committed to the full and timely implementation of the agreement, and I have the moral and constitutional responsibility to restore peace and development for my people who have suffered for more than 50 years of liberation wars against slavery, marginalization, and underdevelopment. The international community urged to remain engaged politically and financially to ensure the agreement holds. UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon. We are here all to help you. I hope you will not betray and disappoint us. Uh, I really uh, sincerely count on your leadership and I I hope that this meeting will really uh, bring us together, oneness. IGAI Chair Ethiopia's Prime Minister Haile Mariam de Seligen warned that the early establishment of the Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Mechanism and solving security concerns remained key to peace. The parties to the agreement will be accountable for any failure to implement agreements 
that they have signed. Lack of compliance does not only have political and security implications, it also has colossal humanitarian consequences. Millions have been internally displaced or fled the country while the UN protects over 200,000 South Sudanese at its bases around the country. As the promised future government of national unity, however necessary, appears still riddled with obstacles. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. U.S. President Barack Obama has chaired a gathering of world leaders to discuss counterterrorism and the fight against ISIS. At the meeting at the United Nations, he admitted that defeating the group will take time, but said that ultimately the militants would lose because they offered nothing but suffering and death. Nick Harper reports from the United Nations in New York. Flanked by the leaders of Nigeria and Iraq, two countries on the front line of the fight against violent Islamic extremism, U.S. President Barack Obama was clear about the size of the challenge. There are going to be successes and there are going to be setbacks. Uh, This is not uh, a conventional battle. This is a long-term campaign, uh, not only against this particular network, but against its ideology. The U.S.-led coalition against ISIS has grown to some 60 nations, with President Obama announcing the newest members as Nigeria, Tunisia and Malaysia. But Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari stressed that his country still needed military aid to fight Boko Haram. These alone may not suffice, but they can certainly stem the tide and reverse the process of recruitment, movement and the effective operation of foreign terrorist fighters and their associated radical extremists. The Iraqi leader, Haider al-Badi, sitting next to Obama, also stressed that his country needed support in order to fight the threat on its doorstep. 
We need your help and the help of the international community in financing and the equipment of our soldiers, this um, unified enemy, which is not only a threat to us, but for the whole uh, world. However, on Wednesday, Russia, who was not invited to this meeting, will host its own meeting on the same issue. The power struggle between the US and Russia even extending to who can throw the best gathering. Something that's frustrating UN watchers like Professor Alain Benmir from the NYU Center for Global Affairs. He blames inaction in Syria on the differing views of squabbling nations. The time is overdue. Something needs to be done. And if this General Assembly do not come, doesn't come up with some kind of a resolution, that's something that can be implemented, something real, not merely talking points and making statements, then this tragedy will continue to unfold. Tuesday's meeting of more than 100 world leaders lasted several hours, but what concrete difference it will make is unclear. For now, it's not just the challenge of how to overcome violent extremism, but also how to sort out those sharp differences of opinion. I'm Nick Harper in New York. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zorra. Africa, amuka na unai. Let's go back in time to today in 2005. A white farmer in South Africa is sentenced to life in prison for the murder of a former black worker who was attacked with machetes, then tied up and thrown in a lion enclosure. Former PM Live anchor Jeremy Maggs takes us back to that day. Eight months after the lion murder trial started, Mark Scott Crosley and Simon Matabula have been sentenced for Nelson Chisali's murder, all of that happening in the Palabora Circuit Court in Limpopo. Scott Crosley sentenced to life imprisonment. Matabula received the minimum sentence for murder, which is 15 years. While handing down sentence, Justice George Maluleki described Chisali's murder as monstrous. He says it wasn't the racial undertones in the crime that captured the public's imagination, but the frightening idea of feeding a human being to lions. Reports. Viva! Viva! Members of the public outside expressed their joy shortly after Justice George Maluleke handed down the sentences. As Justice Maluleke read the verdict, neither accused showed emotion. Matibula looked tired, while the sometimes temperamental Scott Crosley was surprisingly calm. And that was Ilsa van Zale reporting on this day in 2005, and that clip courtesy of the SABC Archives. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorra. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Now, South African-born comedian Trevor Noah appears to be off to a good start. Comedy Central says the premiere of The Daily Show with Noah in the hosting seat reached a total of 7.5 million people who tuned into the simulcast for a minute or more over several Viacom-owned networks. Now, our question to you today is how did Trevor Noah do as the host of The Daily Show? Give us your thoughts on email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send Send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa One. How did Trevor Noah do as the host of The Daily Show? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Two and a half years after conflict broke out in the Central African Republic, the armed groups that still control much of the country are reaping hefty profits from illicit exports of diamonds. In a report released this week, the Enough Project estimated that armed groups earn as much as 5.8 million US dollars annually from the mining and sale of diamonds and through illegal taxation in the country. Today, Amnesty International is launching a new report on the diamond industry industry focused on the Central African Republic where the trade continues unabated despite sweeping conflict. For more on this report, Jose Khodingake spoke to Lucy Graham, legal advisor in the business and human rights team at Amnesty International. One of the key things that we want to bring out from the report is that it really should be the people of the Central African Republic who are able to benefit from its diamonds. Unfortunately, what we're finding at the moment in the conflict is that there are a couple of armed groups who are involved in the trade, either by taxing miners and traders or by demanding protection money from them. Sometimes those armed groups are actually controlling mine sites or smuggling diamonds out. Um, Those armed groups have at the same time committed some really violent human rights abuses against the local population and obviously you're seeing violence that's happening at the moment in Bongi that's happened over the weekend that is also being perpetrated by one of those armed groups as well. So the report and one thing we're really trying to bring out is that diamonds have so far not profited the people of the Central African Republic and it's time for CAR itself and for states and for also the Kimberley process that regulates the trade in diamonds at the moment. It's time for all of them to help the people of CAR benefit from the diamonds too. Now you've mentioned something about taxes and say that this is what is going on during the conflict. Could you just elaborate? Tell us more about these taxes that are going on there. The point about the taxes is what we found in the report is that there are some international diamond companies that are basically manipulating the price of diamonds in order to ensure that they themselves can make massive profits. And that's something that happens actually not just at the expense of car, but also at the expense of other diamond-producing countries. You know, what you find is that these diamond-producing companies have enormous resources of diamonds, but often what happens is that when they're sold by companies, that the companies themselves do it in a way that reduces their tax liability. So the tax issues that we've been looking at, they're not specifically limited to the situation in CAR. I mean, obviously, at the moment, CAR is banned from exporting its diamonds into international markets, but it's a problem that you find right across the board. Okay, now, would you say that diamond traders in the Central African Republic and global trading centers are profiting from illegal and unethical activity in the Central African Republic? What we found actually is that in the Central African Republic, there are buying houses who are based in the capital Bangui. They're the companies that are allowed to export diamonds to the market. At the moment, obviously, they're not allowed to do so because CAR is banned from exporting its diamonds. 
So what's happening is that those buying houses are continuing to buy diamonds. That internal diamond trade has obviously continued. That's inevitable in a country where lots of people depend on diamonds for their livelihood. But our concern is that those buying houses have been buying diamonds without checking whether they've profited armed groups. So if you look at the west of Car, for example, at the Antibalika, they tax traders, they demand protection money from them. Our concern is that the buying houses in Bongi have then bought those diamonds without looking to see who's really profited from them. And then the concern would be if those companies themselves then sell those diamonds, that they themselves have effectively profited from diamonds that are linked to armed groups. And that's why, you know, this is a problem that we find throughout the diamond supply chain, that companies seem to be profiting from an ethical or illegal activity. And that's why we're calling on diamond companies to start looking into their supply chain to investigate whether they are profiting from human rights abuses and other illegal conduct. The money that is generated from these sales of diamonds and the illegal taxes in the Central African Republic, who benefits? Is it the leaders of these armed groups? It's difficult to see who profits exactly from the trade. I mean, I think when you look at Central African Republic, there are various people who are profiting from this trade. You know, you have the elements of the anti-Balika and the Selica who are taxing traders and demanding protection money from them. You also have companies who are looking to export these diamonds who could then make a profit on that. And so, you know, at the same time, you have the government itself who really badly needs this money, and that's why they've been lobbying for the ban on the export of diamonds to be lifted. And also, you then have people on the ground who mine for these diamonds who are desperately in need of money. As I said before, you know, we find, and this is the case in a lot of diamond-producing countries, that while diamonds can actually benefit a lot of people, Sometimes, in fact, most of the time, that benefit just doesn't feed down to the people on the ground, and that's why it's really important that the people of CAR can begin to benefit from the diamond trade and the diamond resources within their country. But do you think that it is in the interests of those who benefit from these illicit deals to have these conflicts going on? No, I think it's a really interesting question. I think there are always going to be people that, that profit from conflict. What the report is really looking at is the way that companies in the supply chain could potentially be profiting from conflict or from other illegal and ethical activities. And that's why we're calling on companies throughout the diamond supply chain to check where their diamonds are from. It's something they're not really doing at the moment. There are some standards in place, but because there is the Kimberley process in place, which is supposed to prevent conflict diamonds from entering the market, what you find is that a lot of companies just rely on the Kimberley process as a sort of fig leaf to enable them to not check their supply chains themselves for conflicts and other unethical conduct. That was Lucy Graham, legal advisor in the business and human rights team at Amnesty International, on the line from London, speaking to Jose Khodingake. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. In headlines, Burkina Faso's army takes control of the barracks of an elite force behind a failed coup earlier this month. South Sudan's President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Masha accuse each other of violating a ceasefire brokered to end a 21-month conflict in the world's newest state. And U.S. President Barack Obama insists Syrian President Bashar al-Assad must step down if the ISIL terrorists are to be defeated. Details at the top of the hour. Everyone.
Global artists to support Radio Everyone, a global pop-up radio station to tell everyone about the global goals. It's time to change the world. Seven-day pop-up, global radio station streaming online with the broadcaster partners in over 60 countries, producing and hosting content on their platforms across the week. Harnessing the world's most accessible medium, Radio Everyone will bring together stations of all sizes across the world, including broadcasters in Africa, Europe, the USA, India, and with huge support from major broadcasters already, Radio Everyone is calling for more involvement from radio stations around the world in order to help reach the campaign's ambitious target of telling 7 billion people in seven days about the goals. This is Chris from Coldplay. I'm Cody Simpson. This is Lisa Astronaut, Samantha Christopher. This is Liam Neeson. I'm the actress Michelle Yeoh. This is Gilberto Gilles. Please, can we just have one minute of your time? A minute of your time. A minute of your time. By joining together and saying these credible goals, let's be serious about them. Let's get involved. The very privileged perspective of being able to look down on our planet from space really made me think of the global goals for sustainable development. You're listening to Radio Arua. We will live in a world where our industries and our best innovations are not just used to make money, but to make all our lives better. For more information, go to Global Goals. This is Radio Everyone. Seven-day pop-up radio station you can find on globalgoals.org. Globalgoals.org. Let's get to work. The station for the UN's global goals. Please help us. Let's make it happen. Help us tell everyone. Tell everyone. Please help us tell everyone. You are listening to Radio Everyone. Radio Everyone. Help us tell everyone. Tell everyone. Radio Everyone. Thank you so much. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba, Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. It's 8.34 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kilohertz on the 41-meter band, band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. The South African Traditional Music Awards SATMAs are this year honoring the grandmother of American President Barack Obama, Sarah Obama, for the work she does in Kenya to improve the lives of her people, especially the children. The 10th edition of the SATMAs is set to take place this Saturday at the University of Natal. The theme for the awards this year is I Am an African, honoring artists and achievers who have made the most impact in the South African music industry and social or political life in Africa and the diaspora. For more on the event, we are joined on the line by spokesperson of the awards, Studuzo Gambili. Good morning, Studuzo, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning to you and uh, good morning to all the listeners. Now, Studuzo, the awards mainly focus on music, but you will be honoring individuals like President Obama's grandmother. Why is that the case? Well, um, for, for us, uh, the South African Traditional Music uh, Achievement Award is not just about honoring 
our great musicians uh, who have actually done a lot to sell our country to the world in terms of the talent and what we have to offer. But it's also um, about the people in our social lives, the people that have helped to shape our lives, people who inspire us every day. And uh, that is why we, we always take the stance to honor people that are not particularly musicians. Now, what's the difference to this year compared to the previous ones, the previous awards? What's the difference about, about them this time around? Well, it's our 10th anniversary, my dear. Uh, we've been around for 10 years now, and um, Mr. Tumisani Kola, who is the founder of the, the Satma Awards, uh, had been looking around and saying, actually, I have to honor someone that is extra special throughout the entire continent. And so we looked at... Uh, different individuals, and we researched on Mama Obama, and we decided we'll have to do everything in our power to get her to South Africa, to honor this year, for all the work that she does. So the difference is that um, we have a lot more going, we're honoring more people, we are bigger, uh, we, of, and of course we have uh, Mama Sarah Obama with us in South Africa. Well, congratulations on being around for 10 years. That's a great achievement. Can you now tell us just a little bit more about some of the guests that you will be receiving on the day? There's going to be quite a, a plethora of them. Uh, in fact, um, I'm looking at the list right now. We have um, people from um, the United States, first of all, our international guests. Uh, from L.A., we have guests from the Ivory Coast, um, the Consulate General to the to to to, to L.A. We have uh, folks from from Ghana. We have uh, folks uh, from Swaziland. In fact, we the King sent uh, an entourage from his office to to be part of the Sadma Awards this year. And uh, of course, uh, we have uh, Mama Obama as well. Now, clearly, this, the awards have been well received internationally. Um, just you just mentioned a few of uh, um, uh, the delegates who will be coming through from different countries. Now, talk to us about the awards being received in South Africa by South Africans. What's the feeling from South Africans with regards to the Satma Awards? Well, the feeling is fairly warm, actually. It's, uh, it's quite astounding that uh, a young man from Dwaedwe, a rural area in uh, KwaZulu-Natal, in his very late 20s, uh, early 30s, decided that uh, this was an important uh, move to take. And uh, so he took his chances with Satma Awards after realizing that nobody was honoring these great musicians. And upon doing that, uh, the, the, the support for, for his dream actually grew. And over the years, it has grown to such proportions that... Uh, just about everybody in South Africa knows and recognizes the uh, uh, Satma Award. Now, Studuza, can you just take us through the program of what exactly will be happening tonight? As uh, we understand, the main event will be taking place on Saturday. What's happening this evening? Oh, this evening we... Um, Oh, it's going to be quite amazing. I hope you guys make it. Uh, <laughs> well, unfortunately, <laughs> we, we, we're in Johannesburg. Where are the awards being, being uh, uh, hosted this year? Oh, they're going to be at UniZulu at uh, uh, the University of Zululand. But tonight is the red carpet in Hibiscus, the south coast uh, of uh, Zululand, which is a beautiful area which we thought that uh, the world should really, really know about because it is one of those really, really uh, marvelous places to visit. And, of course, the mayor agreed uh, to host us for the red carpet event, which means that uh, it would actually expose uh, Hibiscus. And uh, as we bring all these folks, the media... Because wherever Sadma was goes, 
um, the economy of that area grew. So she understood that. And so Mayam Kobe decided we should come and, uh, and uh, do this marvelous World Cup event uh, uh, in Ibiza. So that's where we're going to be. Okay. Now, with regards to, you just spoke about uh, the, 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 aftermath uh, with regards to the awards that uh, it does help in, in assisting an area where they are, the awards are held um, to sort of grow and develop. Any plans of moving uh, the awards from the Guazum Natal province to maybe a Gauteng or the Eastern Cape or the Western Cape going forward? Yes, we were last year we're, uh, in the Eastern Cape, of course, uh, for three years. Uh, prior to that, we had been in KwaZulu-Natal, and now we came back here because it's our 10th year anniversary. So we thought it was important for us to be in KwaZulu-Natal uh, for this year. But uh, next year, we may be going elsewhere. In fact, uh, Mr. Goba, uh, Dr. Kumisani Goba, the founder, will announce where the Sadma Awards will be going uh, next year. But it's uh, certainly uh, somewhere in South Africa. So it's going to be a nice surprise for everybody. Now, Stiduzo, before we close this, what time is the main music awards ceremony starting on Saturday? And uh, are we going to get a chance to watch them on TV this year as well? Yes, ma'am. There will be, uh, of course, as I said, this is our media partner, <coughs> and so they will be there to record um, everything, to document everything. And uh, I think about two, three months after the main event, uh, the the, the Sadmas will be broadcast, but uh, the events start early. In fact, that day we have uh, quite a few events. We have uh, the parade, the cultural parade, which is, will feature about six, seven thousand young girls parading and showcasing their culture. From from um, about two to three, we'll start a festival, which will have about twenty thousand people. A festival featuring Maskandi artists, vessels, hip hop artists, and then the main event at night will begin at around seven p.m. And of course, there'll be a red carpet as well before that. Studuzo, thank you so much for joining us and all the best for this weekend with uh, everything planned for the Satma Awards. And uh, we hope that next year you will come through to the Gauteng province and we will be able to attend. Thank you very much and I love your stations. Please keep up the good job. Thank you very much for listening. That was uh, Studuzo right. Gambili, spokesperson for the South African Traditional Music Awards that will be taking place in Durban this coming Saturday. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza, Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. It's 8.42 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. A new fund has been launched to give Africa's brightest but most under-resourced students a way to gain higher education. The Africa America Institute will provide scholarships to some of the continent best universities. Former scholarship recipients gathered in New York, including one former student who's risen to the height of President Nick Harper, reports from New York. Beneath the chandeliered ceiling of this Manhattan ballroom, African dignitaries came together to remember what had got them where they are today. And for many, it came down to education. Like Namibian President Hage Gangob, on an Africa-America Institute scholarship in 1964. I thank them for that initial scholarship, which molded my educational career, black political one too.
This was a chance to bring education into focus, to show what good educational opportunities can help achieve. Without higher education or technical training, you stop. Outside of Africa, one in four people go to university. In African countries, it's just one in 20, simply because the majority cannot afford it. Amini Kujunju is the first African-born president of the Africa-America Institute. She's now aiming to unlock the potential of Africa's next generation. We think that that is a travesty and we need to do something about it. So this is our attempt to make sure that as many under-resourced African students that are smart, that are innovative, that are poised for greatness, have an opportunity to a great university education and there just are not that many scholarship programs for those people. The organization's new fund will pay for students to attend university, but African ones. It's partnering with the likes of UNISA in Pretoria. AAI feels a country's success is closely tied to its educational pedigree. Universities tend to be centers of excellence. They tend to be centers of innovation. And of course, it's their centers of learning. And we know of no country that has developed and become a, a top-performing country from in economics or in education or in technology without having a strong educational system, and in particular, a strong higher educational system. Dr. Augustine Esobue, who himself was awarded a scholarship in America, agrees. Now, we're investing inside Africa in our time. We had to be taken away from Africa to American universities. But the African universities with the potential to be as good or even better than many of the, the American universities. Ultimately, the Institute believes these new scholars will have the power to change lives and change a continent. Mekapa, New York. It's 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1955. French delegates walk out after the UN General Assembly decided to take up question of unrest in Algeria. And that was today in history in the year 1955. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I love Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehoko. Thanks, Balungile. A meeting of 500 of Africa's leaders in food production is opening in Lusaka, Zambia, to look at ways of meeting the continent's food deficit. Conference organizers of the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa says government representatives of the private sector and civil society members will discuss ways of meeting the food needs of Africa's growing population. In eastern Southern Africa, Zambia and Tanzania are the only two of the 27 countries that produce excess maize. The alliance's president, Agnes Sakalibata, is former Rwandan agriculture minister. We've seen poverty levels going down because the country is investing in agriculture from 56% poverty to 39% poverty in less than 10 years. And there are many, many more examples I could give. So it's those, those opportunities that provide hope those opportunities that we all know we could exploit in each of these countries. South Africa's ruling African National Congress has described the deal between its investment wing, Chancellor House, and Japanese company Hitachi as interesting, but says it's not involved in it. Hitachi has been fined almost $19 million by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for violating America's anti-bribery laws. The Japanese company is alleged to have paid bribes to secure South Africa's state power utilities contracts worth millions. The deal involved the installation of boilers at the Midupi and Kusile power stations. ANC Treasurer General Zulim Kize. Like Chancellor House makes uh, contributions to the ANC, so we have that relationship with Chancellor House. Uh, but it is run by an independent board. It is run as a company. It is not part of the ANC structures, but it does give contributions to the African National Congress. And so we acknowledge that relationship. But the ANC does not get involved in sourcing you know, contracts for Chancellor House, does not get involved in uh, you know, participating in any adjudication or influencing any of those processes. We are quite comfortable from where we stand that there is nothing which is a problem on the ANC side. South Africa's National Union of Mine Workers says its members will not participate in the march against corruption that Metal Workers Union NUMSA is leading on Wednesday. Instead, the NUM wants its members to focus on a national march against retrenchment that the biggest trade federation, Kusatu, has organized for the 7th of October. Global miner Rio Tinto has agreed to sell its 40% stake in the Bengala coal mine in Australia to New Hope Corporation for $606 million. This is the latest shuffle of Australian coal assets amid a sector-wide downturn. Bengala is the smallest of three coal mines in the Hunter Valley near Sydney, in which Rio Tinto is a stakeholder. It produced 8.6 million tons of coal last year. Egypt says it aims to generate around $12.58 billion of additional revenue this financial year by launching economic legislation and financial reforms. Egypt in July projected revenue for the financial year 2015 and 16 and said it expected a budget deficit of 8.9% of gross domestic product. The US dollar trades at 1402 in South Africa, 1041 in Botswana, 
12.01 in Zambia. 0.65 to the British pound, 0.88 to the euro. Gold, $1125, platinum, $914 an ounce. Brand crude oil is at $47.85 a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Tommy Kluza. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015 live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. Thanks for joining us in your sport. Let's start with rugby, where Tonga scored five tries to beat Namibia in a thrilling match at Sandy Park. SABC's Alan Tedden reports. Uh, Tonga definitely the better of the two sides, which was obvious with their 35-21 win over Namibia. So going forward, both sides have two exciting matches lined up. Tonga facing off against Argentina, with Namibia taking on Georgia, who actually beat Tonga the other day. So that's definitely going to be an exciting lineup. So lots more action on the way, but it was Tonga 35 Namibia 21. Meanwhile, South African Springbok captain John de Villiers arrived home on Monday and is due to undergo surgery on the broken jaw that has ruled him out of the World Cup and ended his international career. The 34-year-old centre broke his jaw for the second time in two months in South Africa's 46-6 win over Samoa on Saturday and was ruled out of the rest of the tournament in England before announcing his retirement from Test Rugby after 107 caps. Now in soccer, South Africa's Orlando Pirates have been asked not to adopt a defensive strategy going to Cairo in Egypt to face Al-Akhli in the return leg semi-final clash of the 2015 Confederations Cup as the best form of defense is attack. Keeping possession of the ball based on the natural given technical ability have been the potential to unsettle the Egyptians in front of their fans. African soccer correspondent Benjamin Nirenda has more. You know, uh, uh, Orlando Pirates is a, a very good team attacking. They have defenders, I've said, unfortunately, Sangwen is not go- going to be there. Jerry is returning back to the team. Opa Manisa, the captain, is not going to be there. But if you look at the attacking power, it's where they have more power. They have Sangwen, they have Tabola Kali, they have, uh, they have a lot of attacking players. Even their left back, Tabo Mashaba, is an attacking person. Asked to put his head on the block and predict the outcome of Sunday's eagerly anticipated clash, this is what Nirenda had to say. 2-1 in favor of Pirates and Pirates goes through on an away goal. Not at all. It's not going to be all an Egyptian final at all. In local football, the South African Premier Soccer League, the PSL, has announced that this year's Telkom Knockout final will be played on Reconciliation Day on the 16th of December 2015. The PSL Chief Executive Officer Brent de Villiers says that the league had to move TKO final to mid-December to accommodate the South African under-23 site that will be participating in the CAF mini-tournament as part of the Rio 2016 Olympic qualifications. De Villiers says as part of their engagement with South African Football Association, both leagues and cup competition features during the period were suspended. The venue and kickoff time for the TKO 2015 will be announced in due course. The 2015-2016 Telkom Knockout Cup will offer 14.2 million rand in total prize money. The winners will take home 4 million rand, while the runners-up will receive 1.5 million rand each. 
And now in cricket, the South African Proteus kick off their tour of India on a back foot with a disappointing eight-wicket loss to India A in their T20 series warm-up match earlier on Tuesday in New Delhi. South Africa failed to defend a monumental total after getting 189 for three with India A, grafted to 192 for two in 19.4 overs. Proteus all-rounder JP Dumine believes that they let themselves down with the ball in hand after a good batting display, but it was a good practice. I thought it was pretty good uh, outing first out from a batting perspective. Yes, we could have done things a little bit differently from a bowling perspective, but I think it was a good sort of first test run for us from a bowling perspective and, you know, what sort of conditions we're going to face. You know, it's going to be quite similar in Dharamshala in terms of the wicket, maybe a little bit smaller field. So a good prep, nevertheless. A lot of guys got some batting time, which is key, especially in these conditions, you know. Uh, we've had a month off. Getting some good game time out is always good. And finally, in cycling, Mark Cavendish has signed for South Africa's MTN Kubeka. The 26-time Tour de France stage winner and 2011 world champion has sealed a three-year deal. Cavendish's current deal with the Belgian team Ethics Quickstep expires at the end of the season. And his move to MTN Kubeka, which will be known as Team Dimension Data from 2016, has long been mooted. And here's Kubeka's general manager, Brian Smith. I was, I've known Mark for a while, um... I just think Mark needs to maybe slightly reinvent himself. Everybody sees how he rides in the national championships. You know, he's a racer. Uh, you know, after his, his book, you know, Boy Racer, he is a racer, but he's pigeonholed into this sprinter that has to sit in the peloton, you know, race in, race out, and just sprint at the end. And it's not always easy for these guys because others have caught up with them. You know, others are just as fast. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuto Ramagaza, technical producer Charles Moyo, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news, on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Somi with a song titled Akobi. One, two, three... It's been overcast and somewhat gray, but blue's not the color that'll wear today. I want some sparkle and I want something more. Brewing inside me is a lover's And what fair